Hi, and welcome to EcoGen. I'm Abby Veach, and I'm sitting down with the generations that will bear the largest burden of climate change. Today, I'm talking to Yesenia, an environmental journalist, about her work covering environmental justice issues and her role in the movement. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I am a reporter at Earther. I'm a senior staff writer here where I cover issues around environmental justice, but also um, topics on climate science and uh, the climate crisis at large. So can you tell me a little bit about how you got into this field and why? Sure, yeah. Um, it's I guess it's not the most <laughs> sexy story, but... Um, when I was, when I had decided to go into journalism, um, writing was really the only thing that I felt uh, I was good at in high school. Um, I knew that I wanted to do some type of journalism with impact. Um, I wasn't quite sure what that meant. I just, I just knew that there was enough wrong with the world that I, I wanted to have a role in fixing it. Um, and so when I got to college, uh, I went to SUNY Plattsburgh. Um, I quickly started to learn about the environmental crisis and climate change, and uh, it just became a real interest and passion of mine. Um, it sort of highlights the, you know, the, the climate crisis really does exacerbate um, many of the other issues that um, people around the world are facing, whether it's, uh, you know, extreme heat um, in the continent of, in the continent of Africa or whether it's um, hurricane season in, in the southeast, um, but really just uh, injustices at large. And so once that became clear to me, um, I just continued down a road to make sure I could um, do work in this field as soon as I, I got out of college. And so far, it's been a successful uh, journey. So when was the first time you heard about climate change? I mean, definitely when I was in high school, like I heard, you know, I, I knew that global warming existed and that there was pollution and, but it always felt something really disconnected from me. It always felt like something that was going to come much later. It always felt like something that was meant for, I guess a topic meant for, you know, white recycle lovers. It just, it just yeah. felt it felt very disconnected from the world that I came from. And so when I got to college, um, that was the first time that I really <laughs> was exposed to so many white people. Um, <laughs> and I just met a bunch of people who were way more up to date on this stuff. Um, who have been following it much more closely. And um, I made friends with people who, who really drove home for me the urgency around this. And I'm so grateful that I did um, because uh, I mean, I'm sure I would have found out quite quickly in college um, what was going on in the world. But um, if it weren't for the influence from my peers and my friends, um, I don't know that I would have been as interested as as I became. Yeah. And and that's interesting, too. So y you grew up on Long Island, right? Yes, Nassau County. It's, it's interesting because I, I feel like Long Islanders don't necessarily talk about environmental issues all the time, but it is like an area that is super connected to their environment. Like we're really into our beaches. We're really into that kind of thing, but we don't necessarily have that 
connection and conversation always. Do, do you have that experience too growing up? Yeah, I mean, I think that the real, the only place that people, where I grew up, I grew up in Uniondale. Um, mm-hmm. I think the only place people really got outside was was the beach. And um, I don't think that there was ever much discussion around how sea level rise and erosion um, may eventually make these beaches non-existent. Um, certainly, was, like, environmental issues were never really a topic of discussion um, among my friends, and um, I don't really think it was something that people in my community were too worried about. Um, you know, I, where I grew up, it's predominantly Black and Latino, and a lot of, um, it's a pretty large immigrant community, and um, while it's certainly not, like, you know, a low-income community by any means, especially when you when you when you look at other, um, you know, black communities. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a car-dependent place. People aren't relying on public transit in the same way that others might. Um, I, I I just don't think that there's quite has been that sort of um, cultural awakening that's necessary, at least where I was growing up, um, to push forward on green initiatives like people ride bikes all the time but there's no bike paths you know um there's like a power plant right alongside uh where i grew up and an incinerator as well right in garden city that's really close to um uniondale where i grew up and you know we drive past it all the time growing up and when i'd ask my mom what that was she didn't know and she didn't really seem too curious to find out um and none of my friends knew either <laughs> so it, i think it's just this mysterious building yeah yeah and, and and that by no means uh says that you know communities of color don't care about the environment because polls show that uh latinos in particular are especially interested in environmental issues and and do know and can see uh the ways that the climate crisis um impacts their lives but where I grew up, at least, um, it wasn't something that was ingrained into the community in the way that I think is necessary to um, build that sort of cultural uh, awakening that I think we're seeing happen now across the U.S. and the world. Right. We're starting to pe- see people make the connection. And, and that's, a, that's a fault on the environmental movement, too, you know, like the fact that those connections were not made earlier and that communities that are absolutely essential and to the movement as a whole and also going to be super affected by this have not been included in these conversations for a long time. So Yeah, and and we're starting to see, I mean, people are starting to feel these impacts now in a way that they didn't, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, which I think is also impacting how and influencing how real this is for them, you know, like Hurricane Sandy and these just tremendous storms, Hurricane Maria, Hurricane Harvey, and uh, the wildfires in California. And I, I think it's harder to ignore now, no matter where you are um, in the world, which kind of forces people to take a look at how it's impacting them individually. Yeah. So, so I know you do a lot of work covering environmental justice issues. That's your beat, right? Yes. Okay. Do you have like a recent story that you did or or a, a project that you were working on that meant a lot to you, either, either recently or, you know, at a previous job? 
Yeah, um, so a lot of my coverage these days is around the coronavirus pandemic. Um, And uh, research is already finding evidence that uh, air pollution um, can, exposure to air pollution can increase individuals' uh, likeliness to die from COVID-19. And so um, before this research was out, before um, scientists had published any findings on this, um, uh, you know, I I did a story where I spoke to public health officials, uh, physicians, and asked them about this very question because it was something that seemed quite obvious to me and to my coworkers as, as, you know, folks who are heavily embedded in this. Um, they're thinking about so, it every day. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, I was really, really glad to get this out there um, and start putting this on people's radar. And, you know, certainly there were other journalists also, um, you know, teasing out these links and um, putting these questions out there. Um, but I think that, you know, as journalists, sometimes um, by just asking these questions, um, we ourselves may be contributing to you know, the creation or the, the pursuit, the, the pursuance, is that a word? <laughs> we may be helping scientists uh, think a little bit more about this. I mean, I, I don't know if my story had anything to do with, you know, scientists taking a look at this, but, but I certainly think that the coverage overall of the topic um, may have piqued a couple scientists' curiosities to, to take a closer look. At least that I would hope so. Um, so that's 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 a story I did recently that I that I felt really proud of, just because we were able to sort of tease this out um, before there were formal um, uh, scientific connections made, uh, because of, of just how apparent this would be to to the public health um, field. Right, and. What do you feel like your your role is as a, an environmental journalist? Um, this is something I, I struggle with because um, I do I work for our newspaper at AU and then uh, but I also am, work with this on the pod with Charles and I'm an environmental studies double major along with communication. So you know there's the whole like staying impartial and and that kind of thing. Like where do you see yourself fitting in to the environmental movement as a journalist? I mean, that's always a hard question for me to answer. Um, you know, I, I think of myself as a storyteller. Um, you know, I mean, my, my job in all this is to tell stories, whether that's the story of activists, whether that's the story of scientists, whether that's the story of, of lawmakers trying to address this. Um, you know, I see myself as a place where uh, people can come to, to to learn more and uh, get trusted information um, and as a place that, that, you know, folks in the movement can turn to to share and get this information out there. Um, I mean, certainly I have <laughs> plenty of personal opinions on, you know, what's the right next step and, and that certainly comes through in my writing. You know, I, I just wrote today about the open streets initiative happening in, in New York city. Um, and, you know, I've wrote in my blogs, uh, that this, these types of policies should be permanent. And, um, I certainly have an opinion, but I, but I also know that first and foremost, my job is to, um, you know, be truth, 
respectful and to be fair and to uplift the voices of others. Um, I think that's the most powerful and impactful form of writing um, and reporting, uh, rather. But um, yeah, so so I, I, you know, I've had people ask me like, do you consider yourself an advocate? Um, and I don't know if I choose that word, um, but I certainly think of myself as uh, an avenue for advocates to to um, have their voices heard. Right. If you were talking to maybe like high school you or college you or someone who is in high school or college right now who's really passionate about these issues, um, but nervous, who's nervous about getting into the journalism field, what would your advice or your suggestion be to them? I'm totally doing this for a selfish reason I want to know (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean that's I think that's a an especially hard question right now um because the pandemic has completely decimated much of the media industry um media companies left and right are laying off reporters um at unprecedented rates we're seeing small local news outlets just completely closing down so I personally am not feeling super optimistic about the industry or even my own um, position in, within the industry. But yeah. I think that no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what issue is plaguing the industry at large, because there's always something that's, there's always a challenge for the industry to face, you know, whether it's like the death of print or, um, figuring out the pivot to video. There's always something that people um, use as a way to, um, you know, say that media is dying. Um, I think that throughout all this, the way to succeed and to move forward is to build upon your skill set. You know, I, I don't think there's anything more important than um, having the reporting chops down, um, being a damn good reporter, um, which, you know, only comes with the time and practice. Um, and also, you know, having a unique voice, um, especially if you can hone that voice within a specific context. You know, I think that in the reporters like myself um, who, who have a venue where they are encouraged to um, really propel their voice and, um, have a very specific focus area, um, you know, such as climate change, environmental issues. I think that it's sort of, um, it's definitely something that I think boosts any reporter's um, chances of success. If you can find a topic area that is yours, that no one can do like you. I think that when you can make your position yourself to be as unique and as uh, special as you can, I think that it really gives you a, ch- a leg up within the industry. Because um, unfortunately, you know, there are so many of us, and so many of us are talented. Um, but when you can say, you know, I'm one of the few, or I am the only reporter covering X, Y, Z in this way, um, it's appealing. It's appealing to to uh, employers. Um, it's appealing to you know universities that want to invite you to come talk and speak on this topic, which is a, you know, career booster. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, some folks just want to report. And, you know, there's journalists out there who want to just do any type of reporting. They don't care what. Um, And that has its own strengths, obviously. But but I do think that there is some benefit to, you know, figuring out what beat you want to focus on. Um, 
and really doing that that beat well um, to, to make yourself stand out within the industry. You know, you work a lot on environmental justice issues, environmental racism. How does your your personal identity play into um, your coverage and your work every day? I, I mean, certainly who I am as a Latina, as a daughter of immigrants, um, my parents were formerly undocumented peoples. Um, you know, my mom, she works uh, in uh, the food sector. She works at McDonald's, which is literally one of the worst places anybody could work. I think as, as someone who comes from this lived experience, um, when I report, uh, I try to make sure that these voices are, are being centered, the voices that I relate most to. Um, and I, and it also gives me, I think, another level of empathy for, for individuals that may be, um, sometimes, you know, kicked under the rug or, or deemed as, um, you know, I guess unnecessary or small to society at large. Um, and, you know, obviously my, my pieces aren't always, I don't try to make them about me. But certainly um, pieces of me come through and who I, you know, speak to, who I interview, um, the sources whose stories I try to center. Um, just last year, um, it was the anniversary of Hurricane. It was a hurricane that hit uh, the Florida Panhandle. And um, I focus my piece on an undocumented worker who had suffered a severe and traumatic injury after falling off the roof of a home where he was working. Um, as a result, you know, he had suffered, um, he had been uh, suffered wage theft. His, his employer wasn't giving him any pay and he had all these bills related to the medical costs of the injury. Mm -hmm. um, and so as, as a Latina, as someone who sympathizes tremendously with undocumented peoples because, you know, my parents were once undocumented peoples, um, I think that it comes through when you see just the voices that are included in my stories. Um, and the fact that I speak Spanish also just opens that door for me to speak to Spanish-speaking communities. Um, but, you know, I, that being said, I think it's important to note that all journalists should be centering these people and yeah, these communities say that. In, their, in their reporting because yeah, there's so many stories that go untold. And unfortunately, when these stories do get told, it's often stories of pain and struggle and stereotypical uh, portrayments of what these communities look like, portrayals of what these communities look like. Um, and it's our job as reporters to, I think, paint these communities in a more um, honest and fair way. And full, uh, yeah. You know, because they're not just like struggling, sad, pathetic communities. Obviously, there's a lot of pain within these communities that have suffered, you know, decades upon decades of trauma. But there's also a lot of strength. And, you know, that story that I that I wrote on the anniversary of the hurricane, um, looked at the way that many of these workers were standing up to these companies that were stealing their, their wages and treating them poorly. And many of these individuals are filing lawsuits. And um, I try to focus on just, you know, these, these individuals aren't afraid um, just because they don't have the right papers. Um, mm -hmm. They're not going to let yeah. these companies take advantage of them. 
um, throughout, you know, these disasters that uh, ultimately rely on their labor to, to rebuild. So, right. you know, it's, it's, it's um, definitely my identity is why I, I do the work that I do, but I, but I think that it's the type of work that we should all be striving to do as journalists. Yeah, and it, it shouldn't all just fall on, you know, the one reporter of color in a newsroom to be doing all of that work, too. Um, every single reporter needs to be inclusive and telling full stories every time they report a story, for sure. So Right on, yeah. I have plenty of, you know, black and brown colleagues of color. Um they don't necessarily want to do this type of reporting um, and that's totally fair and totally okay. Um, and I've been in newsrooms where I was the only uh, journalist of color and therefore, you know, that story or that beat or that topic, like I had to write it because, you know, um, it would just be that much stronger coming from uh, a person of color. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of responsibility that, that comes with that when you when you have that thrown on your shoulders. Um, and it's, it's, it's just really unfair, especially if your interests sometimes extend beyond um, the, the beats that many editors silo um, reporters of color into. Yeah. So I know that there's it's hard to put a hierarchy on, on issues, um, and it doesn't have to be an environmental issue. But if you had to name, like, your top two or three issues the ones that really get you fired up the ones that you're really passionate about the stories that you're really interested in telling um what would those be i would say first uh it would be um impacts from disasters i guess like disaster recovery perhaps is the better term uh, uh it's something that's going to be a much bigger topic in the coming years as disasters grow worse um, and the budgets to repair and recover from them uh, shrink due to um, government incompetence. Um, so I, I certainly think that that's, that's number one. Um, the other two topics, uh, I think air pollution is another topic that at large is incredibly fascinating to me. Um, and there's just so much research that, that uh, has, such big questions left around the impacts, the full impacts that, that air pollution has on mm -hmm. our health and our bodies. Um, so air pollution, I think, is something that does not get as much attention as it should, uh, even though it kills 7 million people a year around the world. Is it 7 million or 7 billion? Don't quote me on that. Okay. <laughs> I think it's 7 million, though. Uh, 7 billion would be too much. It's the entire world's population. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, air, so I would say disaster recovery, air pollution, and third, which I haven't done as much reporting on, but I incredibly um, love to read these types of stories, and it's, I think, the most important piece of climate journalism right now is um, accountability on fossil fuel companies. Um, there's been a big focus, I think, on the role that these fossil fuel companies have throughout the you know the climate crisis so large but um you know just the public health impacts from this um the the misinformation piece of it all and i think that there is just so much to be said uh, around the power fossil fuel companies have and 
the way that they hinder any progress moving forward on um, the climate crisis. Um, again, I haven't done as much reporting in that in that respect, but um, I think it's one of the more important um, pieces around this that that still needs a lot more attention. Um, and so to wrap it up, my last question: um, When you think about your work and the future, um, and what you hope to accomplish, who or what are you doing that work for? Um, I guess I'm doing it for the people of tomorrow, you know, and just hoping that enough people um, learn and educate themselves on the topic um, that enough legislators and policymakers can get informed on the topic so that the world um, is safe enough um, and habitable enough to support life of future generations. You know, I, I genuinely worry that um, the planet will not be a safe place uh, for my own children should I decide to have them. Um, and I, I, just, I just hope that my reporting can somehow prevent the world from reaching such a catastrophic state because I would really love to have kids. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, you know, I just don't imagine um, that being a good thing to do um, during all this. Unless things get better quick, which feels sometimes, you know, some days it feels like we're on the way and other days it feels like we're a million years away from that reality. Um, but, but, you know, the, the children that are going to be here, the children that will be born, um, the children that are here now, I think they're the main uh, inspiration to, to continuing this work and wanting to help make it a better place. Yeah. We'll see if, if it works. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, we like to say thank you for potting with me. Um, and I know that it's a crazy time to be a reporter um, and there's so much that is happening. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Of course. Yeah. No, thank you, Abby. Thanks for listening to EcoGen. Let us know what you think by giving us a like, rating, and comment. Do you have an interesting environmental story or know someone with a unique perspective? Reach out to me on social or shoot me an email. We would love to have you.